Hey there, and welcome to another episode of my show. I'm Father Roderick, recording this on a very dark day. It's already getting dark outside, and it's only 4 o'clock in the afternoon when I'm recording this. Oh well, the joys of winter. <laughs> Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. As always, this episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. This is a wonderful community of people that encourage me, help me to do the things that I do, and also think with me about future projects. And uh, next year is going to be an exciting year because there are a lot of things that are going to change in my life. I'm uh, done with most of my television work. I'm currently finishing the last episode, the last official episode of my TV show. Um, and then for a couple of months, they're going to do reruns of previous episodes. But that frees up most of my time because that was almost a, a full-time job creating 30 television episodes uh, in a year. And so all that new, uh, newly available time I'm going to be able to pour into the work that I do for you, for my international audience. And I can't wait to uh, let you in on some of the projects that I have in store for 2022. But it's not 2022 yet. We're still living in December 2021 when I'm recording this. So let's take a look at what's going on in the world. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby taken your first step into a larger world. So, I don't know about the situation in your country, but over here, we are bracing ourselves for another wave of infections with the Omicron variant. It is spreading quicker and quicker, and according to the predictions, this will be the dominant variant of the virus uh, for uh, quite a while to come. So, that means that they're probably going to announce tonight, I think, that they're going to close the schools earlier than, um, than than planned, so the kids will have another an extra week of uh, uh, Christmas holiday, which you know sounds fun for kids, but it's actually after a year where a lot of children have already had so much trouble in school, and a lot of the educational system had to kind of deal with the situation where sometimes entire classes would be sent home, and then they had to do remote learning. All that, of course, is not very good for children. Um, creates a lot of unrest. And of course, not every household and not every family is able to to uh, accommodate children that are at home. Uh, there are a lot of couples where both parents are working. So imagine the situation where all of a sudden you get to hear, well, your chi child is going to be home a, a week extra um, and you didn't, you weren't able to plan for that. that. That's all the kind of the practical problems that we're dealing with but of course, our our health is is the most important thing. We don't want to overload the hospitals, and so we're trying to minimize the infections. A lot of the um, stricter rules that that our government has um, uh, implemented, I think, two weeks ago, is starting to show uh, some effect. Um, so we have an, an evening lockdown, which means that from after five o'clock. Everything has to be closed, except for supermarkets, like vital stores. Uh, but there are no more activities. You can't go to the movies at night. So that for movie theaters, this is also quite a problem because, of course, this is the time of the year uh, where they um, reach large numbers. So I heard that some movie theaters open at 6 o'clock in the morning just to get that extra viewing time 
for people. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to be a success. I know that if I were to go to the movies at 6 o'clock in the morning, I'd probably fall asleep right away. And that's already something I'm struggling with from time to time when you're in a darkened theater and then you're in these very comfortable chairs and they put up the heat and then sometimes I just drift away and I have trouble staying awake in the dark. It's probably also old age. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle for all of us. Um, and what I hope is that uh, we will be able to uh, keep as many people as possible safe and that um, our scientists will continue to develop uh, improved vaccination programs, etc., so that uh, we get this thing under control. I, I cannot wait to go back to a certain normalcy that will last. Uh, we, we've had a couple of months during the summertime where it almost felt as if the thing was behind us. And then there was this resurgence, which had already been predicted. But it's so, you know, in the end, you get fed up with it. And people also pay less attention to the rules and regulations. And so it's the virus is not done with us, but I'm definitely done with the virus. So, uh, and it's also important for my own personal plans when um, I want to travel. For instance, the other day I was looking into uh, trips to Rome. Um, you still have to be very careful because per country, the rules are changing all the time. And uh, I think in the Netherlands, we have like a very high number of infections compared to the other countries in Europe. So you always have to make, make sure that there are no specific rules for the, for the Dutch that want to go to to Italy. Now, I don't know if I can make it to Rome this year. Probably not, because uh, I still have quite a bit of things to do. And, and, and it's also, I don't know, towards the end of the year when you're going towards Christmas, that has always been like peak activity time for me uh it's always in these last weeks for christmas that life couldn't be busier um whereas this year it's probably going to be a time where i can finally let down my guard a little bit i can relax and slow down and i am really uh in need of some slow time uh after this uh, this crazy year so i don't know on the other hand i really miss rome I'm, I'm working currently on um, on two TV. One I've already uh, uh, um, is already uh, uh, broadcast last week uh, on on material that I shot in Rome uh, on previous occasions, um, and and then just seeing all these people that I met in Rome, the atmosphere, um, the restaurants, the especially around this time of the year, you know, the winter season. Rome is beautiful. You've got all these lights and uh, the 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 uh, a lot of the Italians that I know love their Christmas decorations. And so especially in the the busier streets of Rome, it's 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 fantastic. It looks beautiful. Trastevere is just one big Christmas market in a certain way. And I just, when I see those images, I so want to go back there. And so, I don't know. Maybe I'll just do like an impromptu visit one of these days. But as you can imagine, there's also a risk if you go to uh, an airport, take a plane. I've heard so of so many people that got infected while traveling. It is the best way to to uh, to increase the risk of, of getting COVID. And well, if there's one thing I don't want to get Again, it's COVID because that kept me busy for like most of the first half of this year. And I'm finally back to my old self. 
uh, at least in terms of uh, uh, my overall fitness and my health. I want to keep it that way. I don't want to take any risk. Oh, well, I'll keep you up to date. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Funny, I'm I'm also streaming this uh, podcast live, and so uh, you get some comments while I'm recording from people. And there, apparently, there's someone who has been listening to my show in 2006. Like I don't know, <laughs> 15 years ago, and that person is like, "You're still using the same jingles and the same music." Well, yes, some of the stuff has actually been uh, in use for uh, for 15 years now. I I like my liturgy. In a certain way, recording a podcast, especially this one, it's my oldest show. Um, There is a certain ritualistic aspect of it. It is part of, well, at least what my what my uh, audience kind of. uh, I think what what what, one of the things that appeals to um, my listeners, and correct me if I'm wrong, because of course you are the listener, I'm the talker. (laughs) uh, Is this predictability of the show? You know what you're going to get. Once you there's a jingle, you know that it's time to talk about a different topic, and so hopefully because this is a one-hour show, all these different segments will keep it interesting, will keep you uh, uh, engaged. So this was the jingle for the movie and TV segment. This one is newer. I think I um, well maybe actually the I think the music is 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 still from the old jingle, and then I I added some some other quotes. Um, we have to talk about movies and TV shows because this is the season to watch TV. And uh, just the other day, we saw the premiere of the first trailer, the first glimpse we get of the third Fantastic Beasts movie uh, or movie saga because I think they're planning like six or seven movies in total. And so... Uh, we are following the adventures of um, this this group of wizards in a, in a world that, in a certain way, looks more modern than the world that we know from the Harry Potter story, and yet it takes place way before um, the the time of the Harry Potter stories. It always has been a bit jarring for me visually. I understand it because it takes place in in the United States, at least the first movie did uh, partially. And so they want to uh, evoke that vibe, also the visual atmosphere, even the color palette is is uh, a lot like the U.S. in the in the 20s and 30s. And so um, Art Deco and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and there is an appeal to that, but I also sometimes just miss the wizard robes. I mean, Dumbledore is walking around in a modern suit. And it's like, how do you get from that very modern almost hip Dumbledore to the, you know, the old Dumbledore with the gray beard and, and this kind of husky voice like that and uh, his long robes and this pondering attitude. I don't know how they're going to do that within the time span of, you know, the the wizarding world that we get to see. I'm sure that they will somehow transition us to the looks of the Dumbledore that we know. Otherwise, you get discontinuity. You can't have that in the story. But it is still, I, I often miss kind of the colorful vibe of the first two Harry Potter movies. Those are my favorites. Even though the story 
in, in those two first movies and the first two books was maybe the weakest part of the story, but there was also this enchantment, this, this wonder, this like, ah, I want to be in that world. I want to live there. I want to be a student at Hogwarts or at my age, probably a teacher. You know, let me be the Hogwarts chaplain. I would be so, you know, I'd, I'd trade my current life for that in a, in a heartbeat. But and <laughs> that sounds very, very, uh, yeah, not very priestly to say that. But man, if I could have a parish on the grounds of, uh, I don't know, maybe in Hogsmeade, give me a little church in Hogsmeade, a chapel. Sure. And then I'd be in my spare time, I'd be the, the chaplain and give some courses on religion and magic in <laughs> at Hogwarts. Why not? Hmm. I'm thinking this may be this may be a good idea for a spin-off, like a Catholic spin-off of the Harry Potter series. Let me call some people. <laughs> anyway, so the trailer for The Secrets of Dumbledore came out. And the title was like interesting because when I was uh, still with SQPN, uh, we had a number of shows that we named The Secrets of. So we had a show called The Secrets of Harry Potter and the secrets of Star Wars, and the secrets of Star Trek, etc. So it was a whole genre, almost, of podcasts. And so when I saw that they did The Secrets of Dumbledore, I was like, oh my, that sounds like a podcast. <laughs> but of course, this is all about the things that we don't know about Dumbledore, the things that he didn't want to talk about it, when he was a, a teacher at Hogwarts. Um, Harry Potter even had to discover later on in his own story the role that Dumbledore had played in the past, and also the mistakes that, that Dumbledore made, and the the um, kind of the sins of Dumbledore that uh, brought about a lot of uh, suffering in the world, and so um, I'm I'm sure that this this movie is going to focus on, more on the part of Dumbledore's life that we haven't heard about so far, or maybe it will just expand on what the the glimpses that we get of his past in um, in the existing movies and existing books. The trailer looks really great. Um, it's just that I'm finally getting a feel for the main characters. It's it, I, I noticed that emotionally I, I was happy to see them again. I missed them. And this is the downside of, of, of movies nowadays. We're so used to getting these television series that look like movies, but where every week we get to follow people. And take a series like Hawkeye or now The Wheel of Time. For every week, we get a full story that could be almost a movie, at least in terms of the quality of uh, the script, the acting, the special effects, the music, the way it's filmed. These are like, are like mini movies. But of course, because these, these seasons are like sometimes eight, ten episodes, twelve, you know... In the olden days, some seasons would be 24 episodes, like the, the old Star Trek seasons. And you would get to know the characters. There would be so much time to do character development, to, to build story arcs. And we don't get that with Fantastic Beasts. And, and, and it took me two movies to basically I did start to identify a little bit with the main characters. In the first movie, I was like, there's no one in the cast... That really appeals to me. They they all have their quirks. You don't have that immediate connection that you had with the cast of the Harry Potter movies, where there would be you know both your own uh, youth memories that were triggered. Like oh man, I remember that time when I was a kid like that. And how would I feel 
had I been in a, a, a student at Hogwarts. Um, and then you had also very strong parent characters, especially the, the Weasley family. Uh, that is also very relatable, maybe because your own family was a little bit like the Weasleys, or maybe that would be your, your dream to have a family like that. So there was a lot of uh, characterization that, that worked, that gave you an immediate connection. And of course, another advantage of the Harry Potter movies was that they were based on books that everybody had already read. So if you read a Harry Potter book, especially the like uh, number three or four or five, these were really big books where for hundreds of pages you would be part of that magical world in your imagination. And so there was a lot more kind of emotional tissue uh, or fabric uh, that, that, that formed the bedrock of those movies. We don't have that with Fantastic Beasts. There is not even a book, which is mind-boggling. I mean, sure, we, we got the scripts, the movie scripts that they published like books, and they sold them at a price as if it, as if it was a book. But I was so disappointed. I was just reading through those scripts, and I'm thinking, this is... Why? There is no... There is no added value other than you can just take the script and just read along with the movie. What what use is that? Why she didn't? Why J.K. Rowling didn't write a book version or novelization of the script, or had someone else do that? Why not? They do that with Lucasfilm all the time. They just hire a good writer and let them just take the the script of the movie and then expand upon it. There there is a lot of experience with that. Why they didn't do that with the Fantastic Beasts? Uh, universe is, is is a mystery to me. Maybe it's just because I don't know. It's 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 the work of one author, and it's only recently, of course, that that um, they're trying to put some distance between the the Harry Potter world, the Wizarding world. I keep saying Harry Potter world, but it's the Wizarding world, and and then the author J.K. Rowling herself, who keeps causing controversy by her tweets and you know I'm all for freedom of expression and I think that there is a lot of uh, a lot of the controversy around what she says about transgenders etc et is 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 not it's not just what she says it is also our entire culture where we are um, we have trouble accepting that someone has a dif different opinion from us we have difficulty entering into a true dialogue we're only fighting and um and, and this is not just something that happens around jk rowling this we, we see this all the time around television shows of actors singers uh, entire movies sometimes star wars is another example the the star wars fan base used to be just this happy group of people where you like to be part of, of of the Star Wars family, and now it doesn't feel like family anymore. It's less constant strive, and there's constant bickering and and complaining, and and it's only thanks to I think thanks to Grogu, to Baby Yoda, and and the wonderful series The Mandalorian, that uh, the fandom kind of came together again, and there was something that wasn't controversial, and and that maybe awakened the old. The old Star Wars fan in us, the the who could just be happy with Star Wars instead of ha seeking something to complain about. So so anyway, but in the for the Wizarding World, they are 
and, and this is also part of marketing, of course, uh, this is problematic to have an author that is perceived to be controversial and, well, lots of people will, will kind of vote with their wallet. They won't go see the movie. They won't buy the merchandise because it's because it's if it's too associated with J.K. Rowling and her points of view and the controversy, of course, that is never a good... Um, uh, that's not going to help your your sales. So you see that with the video games, for instance, where they are constantly emphasizing, well, J.K. Rowling is not involved in this. So please buy our game because this has nothing to do with the controversy. I wonder if you can totally uh, disconnect the two. Probably not. Uh, in that respect, you know, Lord of the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, is much is much safer um, because Tolkien is is dead, and maybe had he lived today, you know, he he too would be, uh, I don't know discussed and there would be controversy about i don't know his, his, his personal opinions his catholic faith or stuff like that there's a there's a lot always that people find to complain about if they want to complain anyway so um the the secrets of dumbledore i hope that this movie will do well i'm i'm looking forward to seeing more of these characters and hopefully having a third movie will help us kind of have that emotional connection i hope that there will be also character development they will have to do because um one of the things that i miss in this movie is um the charism of the lead newt's commander is wonderfully acted um but because he is a bit um it's it's a man who is part of his character is to not know how to relate to human beings. He is very good with animals, with creatures, with magical creatures, but he has trouble uh, doing that with 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 humans. He does it first. Uh, oftentimes, you feel like human behavior for him is is too complicated. It's too irrational in a certain way. The animals are more normal than than humans, and so he keeps his distance, his emotional distance as well, and. <clears throat> I, I applaud the story for giving us a, a main character uh, that is not the cookie-cutter hero, that is not like Harry Potter at all. At the same time, it's he's difficult to relate to. I relate much more to a guy like Kowalski, you know, the only muggle in, in the whole story, because he's funny, he's normal, he is our proxy in the story. We, we look at the world through his eyes and we kind of connect with him because he he doesn't take himself too seriously he's funny he makes mistakes he's he's human he's warm and i i think we need more characters like that uh, a lot of the characters in the second movie including the villain were so strange so distant from the people that i know and the world in which i live that i had trouble connecting uh, with characters. The first movie was okay. The second movie, I had real trouble um, liking it. I, I mean, I, I liked the movie, but I didn't love it. And I want I want to love this, this part of the story, uh, this part of the history of the Wizarding World, just as much as I loved Harry Potter. I don't know if that's, if that's going to work. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. It's, uh, it's going to be in theaters in April. So that's definitely something to look forward to.
Um, something that really has brought a lot of warmth in my life and made me laugh and, if I'm totally honest, also made me cry a couple of times, it's Tad Lasso on Apple TV+. Plus. Now, if you've been a long-time listener, you know that I've uh, in the past been very critical about Apple's efforts to start uh, yet another subscription service, um, uh, trying to get a piece of the pie of the big streaming, you know, movies and TV show pie, um, and become a, a big player next to Netflix and Disney um, and um, uh, and Amazon Prime and maybe Hulu in, in, in the United States. Um, because I thought, you know, this is something that is so foreign to the company, to Apple, uh, that it almost feels like, oh, they have to jump on a bandwagon. It's, it, it reminded me of what Xbox, what Microsoft tried to do with Xbox. Remember when they introduced the Xbox One? Um, so you had the original Xbox and then they came with this new Xbox and then all of a sudden, in everything they 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 said and promoted, it was like this is not a gaming computer. No, we're going to do this is the hub for media. You're going to be able to do everything with this Xbox. And they lost focus on what made the initially first Xbox so so popular and so special and such a interesting rival for what Sony was doing with their PlayStation. They lost focus. They tried to be everything for everyone. And, well, they failed. And they had to course correct, which they did brilliantly. Um, and I think that uh, now Xbox is really rivaling uh, PlayStation. They, they, uh, they, did, uh, they, they took a lot of good decisions lately, I think. Um, and, of course, PlayStation is also trying to, uh, to, to adapt to the situation. So now they, too, are thinking about um, <clears throat> creating a service like Game Pass on the Xbox, which has been hugely popular. It's like a Netflix type of subscription, to, but then for games instead of movies. Um, so, But I, I like it that because Microsoft stepped back from their let's try to do this and that and then also this and just focus on being the best gaming console and trying to gather a number of companies that could produce exclusive games that would appeal to to gamers nowadays. That's what made them win. And, and when, when Apple announced that they were going to start a, a movie and TV series platform, I was like, oh, come on. The Apple TV box itself has never been a, a big success. There, there are so many other devices that do exactly the same. Even now, I'm still, I have an Apple TV and I'm I'm kind of frustrated by the interface. Like I was watching an episode of Tat Lasso and then I wanted to go back to the episode list because I was like, how many episodes does this season have? And I couldn't find the button. It's so, ah, the user interface is, is, is maddening. And then you, you never know if something is an Apple exclusive or if it's showing you uh, images for a movie that is uh, actually uh, that you have to buy on iTunes, and so you're like, oh, I didn't know they had this movie. You click on it, it's like buy. Click here to buy, and and Amazon Prime does the same, and it's so frustrating. You think you're, oh my gosh, I didn't know they had Die Hard, and then you click on it, and it's like, oh, please pay here. Like, dude, I'm already paying. <laughs> that's that's one of the reasons that I still really like Disney, and to a lesser extent Netflix. It's yeah, at least you don't get like this this. They're not trying to upsell you stuff. Uh, uh, now, Amazon 
Prime also has these channels that you can subscribe to, but that's for an extra fee. I don't know. There are so there are already so many subscription services. That's that's why I think that Viacom is taking a huge risk by pulling Star Trek away from Netflix and then trying to launch their own, you know, subscription service. We get HBO also in the Netherlands next year. How many of these monthly subscriptions do you want? I am certainly not planning on on getting a, yet another two platforms to subscribe to. Anyway, so but. Despite my criticism, despite my fear that Apple was overreaching and, and would not be able to, to establish themselves as a, as a major player, there's one thing that I have to give them. What they do so well with hardware and software is what also works in the realm of television shows and movies, to a lesser extent, because they don't produce that many movies. Um, it's the focus on quality instead of quantity. So every show that is on Apple Plus is is really well produced. It's, it's not everything. I am uh, there was this one TV show. What was it again? Based on uh, the dude who plays Aquaman. Um, what was it? What about? This society where everybody's blind. That that was just horrible. Oh, for I think I watched two episodes and I was like, I'm done with this series. This is oh, this is rubbish. But anyway, um, what I've seen so far on Apple Plus has been really enjoyable. And well, for me, the biggest highlight, maybe even the, the unique selling point, the 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 must subscribe factor of Apple TV Plus is Tad Lasso, which is this wonderful television series. Uh, takes place in in the in the UK, uh, and it's a story about an American football coach, football American football coach, who is hired to coach a soccer team, which of course in Europe is called football, <laughs> because that's what it is. We've got a ball, and you play it with your feet. Contrary to American football, where you have what is it, a cylinder, and <laughs> like. Uh, something that is kind of nut-shaped instead of a ball, and the feet are barely even involved. It's just basically people carrying around the oval-shaped thingy. Now that I've insulted most of my American listeners, (laughs) the combination is wonderful, and what makes this series stand out to me is that it dares... This is not about football or soccer. This is not even about sports. This show is about the game of life. It's about the struggles uh, that everyone encounters and how you can deal with that and how the characters in the show deal with it. And the show has such a positive vibe. And there, there's a lot that, you know, that is dramatic that happens to the people, but there's always this sense that good is going to win. It's, 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 a, it's a, such a formative show that helps you to look at situations and step away from anger and and cynicism and frustration and and then think of what would Ted Lasso do? What would he say? And he's also got his share of of problems and I'm currently watching the second season and it was very emotional to see how much he's been struggling with things in his own life and, and, and feelings that he had repressed for so many years, but also a certain you know, traumatic events that made him the wonderful person that he actually is. 
with his flaws. And that's what I love about the show. Everyone is relatable. And, and, and it, the show is ballsy and has a lot of guts. There is so much bad language in that show. And yet, oh my gosh, I have to recommend it so much. De yeah, it's probably not the kind of language that you want to hear your kids uh, uh, use in school. But even that is integrated in the show. There's this one episode where, where um, a child is uh, uh, sent, sent away from school because she's using the, the language that uh, the, the boyfriend of her mom is using all the time in the house. And so there are a lot of, um, you know, bad words that she's using. And then you, you see this play, the, the, kind of the criticism that parents might have towards the Tat Lasso television show is it's part of the story and makes you think about, oh, yeah, yeah, interesting language. Yeah, it does matter. <laughs> you know? How do you express your feelings of frustration? Do you need swear words for that? And it's done in such a relatable way and so funny. Oh, my gosh. It is my favorite show. If I've had a rotten day and I'm frustrated or, yeah, I have days like that where just things don't go the way I want them to go. And... And there, there are setbacks, and and I, I need, I, I just want to end the day in a way that cheers me up. I'll go watch an episode of Tat Lasso, and sometimes I watch another episode of uh, The Big Bang Theory, which is another show very different from Tat Lasso, but that also always cheers me up and makes me laugh. I'm currently watching the tenth season of The Big Bang Theory. There's one more season, the 11th season. And I, I just saw a notice that um, they're going to remove the Big Bang Theory from Netflix. It's still on, um, on, on Prime Video as well. But I'd, I'm not going to take the risk that, that both uh, platforms are going to lose the Big Bang Theory because I need to know what happens to my friends because it's, you know, what some people have with Cheers or... Um, Gosh, you've got a lot of these sitcoms. I, I have that with the Big Bang Theory. It's 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 almost like I know these guys. <laughs> I could have been one of them. Anyway, uh, the last show that I want to briefly mention here, and then we need to move on to the next uh, uh, segment of the show, is Mythic Quest, which is also a surprise hit for Apple TV+. and tells a story about this gaming company that is led by this... Oh, gosh, this really irritating guy who is so full of himself. And yet he also is a genius. He's super impulsive. Um, and everybody in the company suffers because of his behavior. And at the same time, um, without him, they would have never gotten so far. So it's, it's a wonderful dynamic. It's a very... What I like about that show is how much, there, how much diversity there is uh, among the characters. No, there's not one single character in the show that is like uh, someone else. They all have such distinct personalities, different backgrounds, different ideas and thoughts and, and beliefs. And, and the mix is wonderful and is, at times, it, it, it rivals The Office. Uh, although it doesn't go for cheap laughs, it also tries to tell a deeper story. But man, there have been times that I was really cheering. Uh, cheering them on on the screen. I was like, oh my gosh, I love this show. And the best episodes are the ones that have nothing to do with the games. Um, yeah. A another, uh, just an amazing... The concept itself sounds like any other television show. But the execution is so good. 
And I think that is that is what Apple did right with their Apple TV Plus platform. At first, I was like, okay, I get this for free for a year because I bought an iPad. And now I'm thinking, I'm going to renew. As long as they've got Ted Lasso, as long as they've got all these wonderful shows, even though it's just a fraction of what Netflix has, but... How often am I just browsing through what Netflix has to offer and I'm thinking, nah, 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 I'll watch that another time. Nah, nah, and then I'll, let's just move over to Disney Plus or let's just go to Amazon Prime or let's just watch some Apple TV Plus. So quantity is not always what we need. Um, and if I had to choose between Apple TV Plus or Netflix right now, I'd probably choose Apple. Also because it, it kind of frees me up from this, this stress of like, oh, this is something I should watch. This is something I should watch. How am I going to watch everything on Netflix? There's way too much. Whereas at Apple, you can, you can you know, it's kind of curated. And I like that because what they offer is good. Anyway, the, that's my two cents. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we'll always have to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Uh, no. I don't eat light bulbs. <laughs> I'm having a blast cooking, actually, and I can eat everything I want. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Yeah, those Catholics. You know, we're, we are a peculiar bunch. There is a lot going on in the Catholic Church, as you may know. Even if you're an outsider, you may have heard some of the <clears throat> some of the talk about uh, you know change that is happening. Um, Pope Francis it has started what he calls a synodal process, where he hopes that the Church will renew itself by coming together, sharing and talking and, 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 and inviting the Holy Spirit to guide the church. Um, this, of course, is nothing new. This is what the church is supposed to do. You know, it's like what you see in the Acts of the Apostles, where the, the, the apostles, when they had a problem or there was a conflict or there was something that they couldn't solve, they would come together and pray. And then usually the apostles would say, we and the Holy Spirit have decided that. And so there's always this kind of interplay between the individual apostles and the other followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And according to Pope Francis, this is a way out of the crisis, not just in the crisis in the Catholic Church, which in many Western countries is in a deep crisis. I'm, I'm part of that crisis. Like I see it every day that we are closing churches. There, we, we are totally unable to reach people, which is so weird to me. Because the, the, the Catholic faith, to me, is so personally so important, and it's nourishing, and it helps me to be a better person. Even, you, uh, I was listening to uh, an episode of uh, the Word on Fire podcast the other day, which is uh, hosted by, uh, uh, by, by, by uh, fa um, not Father Barron, now he's Bishop Barron, um, but he has a show, just look for Word on Fire. And listen to that latest episode. And he did a um, an episode where he answered questions from people that were 
not Catholic. So he had a bunch of Protestants with questions and uh, some people that were uh, in the process of becoming Catholic and then also people that didn't believe in anything. And, uh, uh, and, and so there was this one question that was basically like, well, how do you know it's true? You know, what is the moment that you say, well, okay, now I've got enough proof that Catholicism is what I need in my life. And then, of course, the answer is there is never such a moment. There's always a convergence of, of things, and it's not just an intellectual process. It's also your heart, it's your experiences, the people that you meet, uh, the love you experience, the friendship. All that will, in a certain way, help you to find the center that eludes, actually, us. That eludes, it's just, there is no definitive like process, like step one, step two, step three, and then you are a Catholic. Because that's not the way, that's not how the force works. <laughs> that's not how faith works. But it is a, a gradual acquaintance process. How do you say that? It's, you approach the center because of the people you meet along the road, because of your experiences. And, and then um, Bishop Barron at one point, he says, you know what, for me is the most uh, determining factor why I'm happy to be a Catholic he says it just works. It just works. Even if you don't have proof or anything, it just works. It helps me to be a better person. It helps me to, to be in this world and, and give a meaning to my life. I, I can positively, positively impact the life of, of uh, the people that I meet. It helps me to acknowledge my, my, my sins. Uh, it gives me a reason to, to grow uh, um, the, the, it it just works. And I'm thinking, yeah, that is actually um, one of the one of the reasons that I think uh, this synodal process that Pope Francis is uh, currently um, uh, encouraging is is so important. We have to become again um, a a community that is. Catholic in a joyful way because they can show in the way they live their lives that it just works. This is, th that's why I'm always very reluctant when it comes to these, you know, cultural wars that some uh, Christians think they have to fight, where they are constantly attacking the culture that surrounds them, the politicians, the whatnot. Um, because it, this is not a this is not a game that you can win intellectually. This is something that you win by showing your heart, by living your faith. You know, it's it's practice what what is preached. That is important for me. That's important for every uh, believer. And when people see it just works, that's what's going to attract them into your community. But if you're just standing there on your pedestal saying, well, I am right, and the entire world and the entire culture that surrounds me is egotistical and superficial and individualistic, and they all go to hell, would you approach someone who's yelling that on a, uh, you know, on a soapbox in the, on the corner of a street? Even if it was a Catholic, I would probably just, uh, let me just turn to right here and take a different direction. I... It doesn't work. That does not work. Because, of course, it's not true. You cannot 
think that you yourself are on the pedestal and you're already in, you know, in possession of the truth and you will live a holy life. And so you can point at other people and tell them how wrong they are and how much they should be like you. If, if you are in a position like that, then automatically, by definition, you are a sinner and you're wrong and you're, you're destroying actually the work of, of the Holy Spirit instead of promoting it. So cultural wars, when they are, um, when they are done from the perspective of, of, of someone who thinks that he's already there, that you know, he's superior to other people, those wars are fruitless. They are, they are actually, I think, even negative uh, for, for, for the image of the church, but also for ourselves, because it, being Catholic is knowing that you, how small you are and how big you want God to be in your, in your life. And, and so the things that you do are supposed to show that it's not about you. We're just sinners that thankfully are forgiven time and again, but it's all about God, who is not a sinner, who, who became like us in every aspect except sin. And so he's good, he's loving, he's patient, he's forgiving. And he should be on the forefront. And I wish that, I hope that um, this this process that Pope Francis has initiated and maybe, well, outlast him, uh, after all, Pope Francis is now 85 years old, or soon, I think in a few days from now, he's going to be 85. Uh, he's old, <laughs> and, and it's incredible how much he's still able to do despite his age. Uh, he's much older than Pope Benedict was when, when he retired. Um, but I think the process is just the beginning. And the way out of this crisis is what the, what the um, secularism has done to the church is actually to, people have closed their doors and their windows. They're, they're afraid to, to step out, just like the apostles were before Pentecost. It was like, let's just stay in our own little subculture and, 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 and uh, try to defend ourselves from the world around us that is threatening our values and is menacing our, our, our freedom of speech and freedom of religion, etc. And so instead of just stepping out without fear, with joy in our hearts, because it's never about us. It's not even about the survival of the church. It shouldn't be. The church is a means to a goal. It's not a goal in itself. And so the church is a hospital, but a hospital is not a place where you should stay for the rest of your life. Hopefully not. <laughs> it's a place where you get healed and then you get out of the hospital and live your life. That's, that's how I think the church should behave. And if the, the big hospital is no longer necessary because people find, try to seek uh, their, their healing elsewhere then, well, maybe you should just take your instruments and go in the streets and see if you find some sick people out there. Uh, or what war doctors do. In, 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 you, know, that you don't have a hospital in the middle of a war. Uh, you just have a tent. And then you, 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 you go into the battlefield every day, not to fight, but to heal those that have fought. And, and I think that that, that is a, a nice metaphor for the, for the role of the church in, in, in this day and age, I think. And it also helps you when you're out there helping people. You tend to not worry too much about your own survival. And, and isn't that wonderful if we could forget about our own worries and, and think about the, the well-being of the people that we are encountering? 
So this is, I think, the, also the, the only remedy against the cynicism that is not just invading our society as a whole. Um, a while ago, I was talking about the, the negativity among Star Wars fans or Harry Potter fans and how much there seems to be this addiction to negativity. And, and it is literally, I think, I'll talk about this a little bit more in uh, the book segment and also at length in my show, Father Roderick to the Max. Um, it's even scientifically proven that negativity and cynicism uh, releases certain brain chemicals that make us feel good. So it's not the best chemical to to be released because it's 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 very fleeting and you need more negativity <laughs> and group negativity to sustain you in that sense of you know this, this, to get that stimulation from those brain chemicals but it is a dangerous addiction and there are alternatives to it there are also happy chemicals there's also a different way of looking to the world looking to yourself looking to god that will actually make you feel a ton better than being cynical all the time and I think it's it's a it's a disease that is growing in our society. It's like a darkness that is seeping into the fabric of our of our communication systems, uh, in our relationships. And in the end, we forget how to enjoy things, how to be joyful, how to spread joy. And the only defense that we've that we found against what we feel is threatening our survival is, is cynicism, is aggression, is negativity. And there is another way. There is definitely uh, an alternative to this behavior. And I think that that negativity has also started to deter and uh, to, to affect the, the, the church. There is so much strife. There is so much negativity. If you look at what people write on social media about Pope Francis, about their own bishop, about their priests, about anything, politicians, you name it. It's all negativity. It's like a fire hose of, of darkness, of, of a completely black way of looking at the world and black in a sense of, of you know, it's like oil that covers everything and it's, it's opaque and there is not a single s glimmer of, of hope anymore in the way that, pe that these people talk about the world or look at the world. How happy does that truly make you? Not much. And I think it's, it's, it's counter to the mission of the church that is supposed to be a place of hope where you encourage people to seek the light. There, there is a lot of happiness in, in the gospel. Of course, there is a suffering, but even on the cross, there, is, there are moments of happiness. When Jesus forgives the, the other guy who is on the cross next to him and tells him, you know what, today you will be, be with me in paradise. When Jesus forgives his own, the people that have attacked him, the people that imprisoned him, betrayed him, he forgives them. That's a moment of, of incredible joy. And it's happening in the darkest times of the of 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 the life of jesus that should be our template that should be our example in a time of crisis so when you see that the church is disintegrating and is unable to be a beacon of light 
the reaction should not be to point at other people with a cynical, you know, I'm holier than thou kind of attitude. No, it's looking in the mirror. What's wrong with me? Why can't people see the light that I have in me? How strong is that light? That should be the first question. Is that light, how, how clean are my windows, the windows of my soul? How good and charitable are my actions? How loving and forgiving are my words? Because that is how people are supposed to see the light. It's through what we say, how we treat each other, how we look at the world. If there's no light and no joy in that, then why are we surprised that people seek the light elsewhere? It's actually quite simple. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Oh my gosh. I thought running the marathon of Rotterdam was the biggest race in this year. And it turns out it was easy compared to the race that I'm currently running. And I only have two more weeks to run this entire race and to try to meet my goal. And the goal is not to run more than 42 kilometers like in a marathon, no. The goal that I set myself at the beginning of this year, before I knew that this was, would be the craziest year in a decade for me, I set myself a challenge. And I said, I wanna be able to read a book every week. What I actually said was, I wanna live a life that is so um, balanced that I have time to read about 100 pages per day, uh, around 100 pages a day. So in, in theory, if my life is balanced enough, and what is, what is an hour of reading every day? It, it's not much. If I can't find the time to read one hour, then there's something wrong with the balance of my life. So setting this reading challenge at the beginning of this year was not just like I want to read X amount of books. No, it was I want to balance my life in such a way that I have time to read. And uh, in, in order to challenge myself a little bit more, I was like, okay, so I can read a book a week. I can probably do a little bit more. So let's up the ante to from last year when I read one book per week in total. Let's do 64 books. So I have to read a little bit more than one book per week. Uh, but I can do that. Well, all was well in the first few months, uh, despite the fact that I was suffering from long COVID, but I didn't have that much work. Also because the entire world was kind of in lockdown. And so a lot of the work that I did was concentrated in a few weeks. Um, and I don't know, there, there was a, my life was relatively simple at that time. And then, of course, in April, all hell, hell broke loose and I had to move. And, well, I won't repeat myself. You know the story. And then for months, I barely read anything. I, I, I was The only time that I was reading, <clears throat> in a certain way, was when I was listening to audiobooks while training for my marathon. So especially... In the summertime, when I had to run these long distances, I would uh, use a, the Google Play uh, app to read books to me with a computer voice. And, and that's how I read a couple of uh, 
books from the Wheel of Time series and some other books. So, um, but I was re I realized uh, a few weeks ago that I was not even at the halfway point. And so in order to, to meet the challenge of reading 64 books, I would have to read not one book per week, but one book per day. <laughs> For the entire duration of the month of December, I had to read one book per day. Well, I'm happy that actually setting myself that impossible goal, and I also published it on social media, not to brag, but basically to hold myself accountable. That's how we work, you know. If, if more people know about this goal, uh, then I, I feel more motivated to actually try to meet that goal. And so I've been reading and reading and reading. Uh, I, I, I never read this many books in such a short time. So let me just go through the list of books that I finished and I'll, I'll take out some highlights of books that I can recommend. Uh, first of all, a wonderful book that I've been reading, uh, or actually it's an audio book, um, and it's uh, called Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, Makers, Mysteries, and Magic. This is a one-of-a-kind book uh, where it's not just an audio book about uh, the whole process, the production process of the movies, but it also has interviews and uh, like uh, audio tours of the set. It's so interesting, and it's actually quite long. Um, there are hours and hours of content. This is normally stuff that you would expect on a, on a DVD or a Blu-ray disc as extras. However, this was produced without, without video. And so there is a lot of narration, which is done by the actor who plays um, uh, Kowalski. So the, the muggle guy, the baker in the story. And uh, it's a bit weird because he, he sometimes reads it as if he's talking to children, whereas a lot of the interviews are definitely not geared towards children. It's just like any other behind-the-scenes documentary. But it's fascinating, and it really I really enjoyed uh, listening to this the, the story of how that second movie got made. And, and, of course, I finished it right in time for the trailer for The Secrets of Dumbledore. Then I, I reread uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, that's a book I've read multiple times. The first time I read it was actually in the form of a video game, a text adventure, uh, way back when I was still a kid and I had a TRS-80 computer. And those were the only games that you could play on a computer like that. The graphics were almost non-existent. And so, but text adventures could uh, plunge you into a wonderful world where your choices actually made the story. And The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was one of those early text adventures. And it was amazing. It was so weird and it was so funny. And uh, it was also very hard because it's, it was such a strange story that you could basically, you could never predict how, what, what to do next. And, and you can't predict it while reading the book either because it is just this, this avalanche of, of associative, associative ideas of Douglas Adams. It's crazy. And then um, uh, what I did now is I listened to the audiobook, um, which was... Uh, who reads the first one? Oh, it's... Um, what's his name? Mm, let me look at my own review. Because I'm also... Um, there you go. I'm also I'm forcing myself to write a review of every book that I, that I read. So you can go to my Goodreads account if you want to 
uh, get more in-depth uh, review of, of the books that I mentioned here. Uh, the first book was read by Stephen Fry, who is my favorite audiobook narrator. Uh, of course, he's a, a very accomplished writer uh, on, on his own, and of course, an actor that we know even from the Hobbit movies. Um, I know him from Stephen and Fry, which is a, a wonderful comedic show that he did when I was uh, still in high school. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the, the, his his performance, reading The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is fantastic, and it, it really enhances the story. And then the second uh, book I also read, The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. I never got beyond the first book, and I was like, okay, I, I, I should probably read the entire series. I'm not sure if I'm going to finish it this year, but I do want to... Uh, read a little bit more. Um, so the second book is read by Morgan Freeman, uh, Bilbo Baggins in the Hobbit movies, and he too. I think he also played um, one of the roles in the in the movie that was made um, uh, about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I never saw, or maybe I saw just part of it. I never finished it, that movie. Uh, but he's one of the. I think he's the main character actually. In, in that's in the movie uh, and he does a, a really good good job uh, reading reading the book I'm starting to wonder if he if that was him uh, wait let me just type that in because I don't want to say something wrong here uh, restaurant universe. Who is reading this audiobook? Huh. Oh, wait a minute. I can just go to my Storytel bookshelf because that's where I have all the books that I've read and listened to. And this is... Oh, I said... Did I say Gord? Is Martin Freeman. I always mix up those names. Martin Freeman uh, is Bilbo and, and also uh, reads this book. Um... And it's good. It's really, he's, uh, he's very entertaining. I think he also read the third book, which is on my list still, Life, the Universe, and Everything. So it really helps to have uh, good voice actors or good actors in general read those books. Because um, sometimes you have these, these readers, narrators of audiobooks, and they ha their voices are just grating. And I can't listen to the book because I don't like their voice. Um, it's a personal thing, I think. All right, what other books did I, I need to speed up things because I'm, I'm running out of time here. Um, what else did I read? The Signs of Positivity. Stop Negative Thought Patterns by Changing Your Brain Chemistry. Now, this sounds like a self-help book, but this has been one of the most revol revolutionary books that I read this year. I talked about it at length in the latest episode of The Walk. It's written, written by uh, Loretta Graziano Bruning. And... I would recommend this book to anyone. This is so, it's based on neuroscience and it, it, it shows you how much of your behavior is influenced by these chemicals in your brain that are released by certain things that you do or by patterns, uh, pathways that have been created in your brain even from your earliest years as a child. And it was so eye-opening. It's like, oh my gosh. And at the same time, it's not deterministic. It'll, the author also helps you to change your attitudes and to make new pathways. And when I spoke earlier about cynicism and, and joy and positivity, this book is the key to that. 
it's not just an ideal. It's not just, you know, something from a moral point of view. This, is, this has to do with the way in which we are, we are wired to survive. But we also have free will, so we can influence the way our brain works and reacts to things. This also really gave me the key, the, the key to understand, the, for instance, an author like uh, Tony Robbins, who is, at, when I started listening to his uh, talks, I was like, oh, wow, that sounds so impossible, what he's saying, that you can just reframe everything that happens to you. Instead of being a victim, you just reframe it differently, and then it, something that is super negative can become something very positive, and it can become something that propels you to a better life. I was like... How do you? Sure, I. That sounds like a nice fairy tale, but this book shows the science underneath uh, guys like that. Who, uh, it's the, the approach, and it won't always work as quickly as as uh, Tony Robbins, for instance, proposes it. It's it, sometimes it's a little bit. It takes a few shortcuts, in, in my opinion. Sometimes it's just hard work. And according to this author. In order to create new neural pathways, you have to do something for at least 45 days consistently. If you leave out one day, you have to start again. But the promise is if you do something 45 days in a row consistently, it will actually modify your brain. It will hack your brain and it will help you to establish this new habit or routine or point of view, attitude for the rest of your life. So this was amazing as a book. Um, a, a kind of a second book that is also written by um, Loretta Bruning is called Habits of Happy Brain. Retrain your brain to boost your serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphin levels. Again, sounds like a book that I would never read because it's so specific. How can that be fun? It's such an amazing, fun book and so relatable. And so I like every chapter, I was like, I cannot believe that this is the way my brain works. We've known each other, my brain and I, for 53 years now. And only now I get the manual? Of course, I'm a geek. I don't read manuals. But seriously, I should have read this 30 years ago. It would have saved me so much trouble in my life. But uh, highly recommended. Um, if I think of it, I will include the titles also in the show notes. And then I'll just go through uh, the other titles that I read recently. Uh, George Takei, To the Stars. J.K. Rowling, The Tales of Beetle the Bard. This is an audiobook version with a, a number of actors from the movies. It's fantastic. The book itself, eh. But the audiobook version, wow. The Midnight Library from Matt Haig. Super interesting book. Uh Demi Moore's autobiography, Inside Out, fascinating. Also, pff, impressive, tough, tough read. Uh, that lady has gone through a lot in her life. John Green, The Fault in Our Stars, bestseller. Um, interesting book. Uh, Predictably Irrational, The Hidden Forces That Shape Our Decisions by Dan Ariely. That's also one of those neuroscience books. David Copperfield's History of Magic, meh. Not so good. Brad Gilmore's Back to the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told. Hey, it's about Back to the Future. 10 out of 10. <laughs> uh, and more and more. If you want to uh, see all the, the books that I read, uh, just go to my Goodreads account. Look for Father Roderick. 
I think I'm going to wrap things up. I'll leave the other topics that I had on my list for next week. Um, and of course, if you're a patron, then you have another show to look forward to called Father Roderick to the Max. And uh, I've got some interesting stuff to talk about there as well. We'll talk a little bit more about those happiness chemicals and how to hack them. Dopamine, oxytocin, endorphin, serotonin. Fascinating stuff. And also give you uh, some tips on, on Dutch winter food. Go over some of the favorite stews here in the Netherlands. Not necessarily my favorite stews, but the Dutch like their stews. And we'll talk about the Star Wars Hotel. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on that. All that and more for uh, my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. If you want to listen to that show, get access to the Discord server. Well, just uh, go to Patreon and join the community. All right, have a wonderful week, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Take care.